Hello, and welcome to the Anchor Discipleship Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word with this lesson. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's lesson. Puts it to Messiah. Ah, yes. The abomination of desolation, the seven-year covenant, is now breaking with the Antichrist. We'll take a stop off of uh, in Daniel, and then we'll, we'll look at Isaiah right here, and then we'll jump into Daniel 9.27, all on this page 252. We are in the midpoint of the tribulation, and just to bring you up to speed, the Antichrist has been resurrected from the dead. He is now exerting his influence over the world. And now what we're going to get into is, is kind of probably what happens simultaneously once he resurrects from the dead is the first thing he does is cause what we call the abomination of desolation, but he, he breaks the covenant with Israel that he's been in covenant with. Okay, so you have a seven-year covenant. And so in Daniel, and you can see in your passage, Daniel 11, 40 through 45, we dealt with that earlier, but it shows you that Antichrist has went into the glorious land, which is basically Israel. Okay, So now he resurrects from the dead, and now he's completely going to take over. So the first thing he does is break the covenant. Well, Isaiah 28, 14 through 22, talk about this covenant, and God calls it a covenant with death. And it says this, And your covenant with death shall be annulled. That's God talking to Israel. And your agreement with Sheol, the grave, shall not stand. When the overflowing spirit shall pass through, then ye shall be trodden down by it. So the idea is, as you remember, at the beginning of the tribulation, Israel gets into a covenant with Antichrist, and the main reason there was to protect itself from the scourge or war that would pass through, whatever's threatening Israel. And and so he gets in he gets into this agreement to be their their ally, their protector, whatnot, whatever. And now he's going to break it because they made a covenant with death. They should not have done it. But the, like Daniel says, the many who did it, that means that there was exceptions to it. There's a lot of Jews that didn't do it. But anyway, the nation goes into this agreement and now he's going to turn on them. So what is the first thing he does? Well, Daniel 9.27 talks about that. So if you move down the page... He says this, and he shall make a firm covenant with many for one week. And there's that word many, but it doesn't say all, with probably the leadership of Israel at that time. For one week means seven years. Okay, so then Daniel predicts that in, and in the middle of the week, at the three and a half year mark, he, the Antichrist, shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation, or the offering, to cease. So it implies that a rebuilt temple will be there in Jerusalem. It implies that they have control of the Temple Mount. But when he resurrects from the dead, the Antichrist prevents them from doing any more sacrifices to Yahweh. This is very much like what Antiochus Epiphanes did back at the Maccabean Revolt. Okay, and then it says, And upon the wing or the pinnacle of abomination, the, the wing means the spreading influence of the pinnacle. So what he does is going to spread all throughout the planet, on the wing of abominations. When you see the word abominations, it's it's a term that usually refers to an idol, and we'll he'll he'll explain this a little bit in just a bit. Shall come one that makes desolate. The idea of makes makes Israel desolate, scatters them, 
and even until the full end, all the way to the end, and that determined shall wrath be poured, be poured out upon the desolate, which is Israel. So he now is going to start his wrath, his anti-Semitism, that, that no one has ever seen before. He's going to try to wipe out every Jew on the planet after he resurrects from the dead. Okay? If we go to the next page, we want to define then what is it that defines the abomination of desolation? What actually is it? It's, it's two things. Daniel 12.11 gives a, a hint or a clue about this. And it says this on page 253, And from the time that the continual burnt offering shall be taken away, that's referring to just what you read, the abomination that makes desolate set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Now that's interesting because typically it's 1,260 days, three and a half years, three and a half years, lunar, lunar years, by the way, 360 days. But Daniel in this passage adds the abomination will last 30 days past the second coming. Okay, so it's something, he's given us a clue about what this possibly could be. Then you move down to Matthew 24 on the same page. When therefore ye see the abomination of desolation, so you'll be able to see it, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing. Notice its activity. It stands. Whatever this thing is, it stands. Where? In the holy place. In the holy of holies. In the Jewish temple. Let him that reads understand. Then let him, them that are in Judea flee into the mountains. So if you're in Jerusalem or in the Judean area, get out of Jerusalem. Because he's going to kill you. So the a little clue there from, from, the, from the Lord is that this thing has the ability to stand. It stands right there in the middle of the temple. And it will last 30 days past the second coming. Now move to the next passage, page 254. Revelation 11, 1 through 2. And there was given me a reed like unto a rod. And one said, Rise, and measure the temple of God. Again, it implies a temple, rebuilt temple. And the altar, and them that worship therein. And the court which is without the temple, leave without. Or basically, leave it alone. And measure it not. For it has been given unto the nations, or the goyim, or the Gentiles. And the holy city shall be tread, or they shall tread underfoot, forty and two months, or 42 months, or three and a half lunar years. So, this is a takeover of the temple that Revelation is predicting by Gentiles. And it doesn't specifically say the Antichrist, but we know it's the Antichrist. He is going to take over this part of the temple, which is being measured uh, in this passage. Okay, now let's move down and we'll get some more clues. So we want to piece all this together. If you look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 3 through 4, Paul talks about a first stage of it. He says, Let no man beguile you in any wise or any way, for it will not be except the falling away first. That's the great apostasy of the church, which I think we're in right now. And the man of sin be revealed the son of perdition, he that opposes and exalts himself against all that is called God or that is worshipped. Okay, so when you read Second Thessalonians, you've got to understand that Paul's putting things in chronological order. 
He's not just randomly throwing things out. This is extremely important to understand his chronology. Basically, he's talking about, okay, the apostasy of the church, the great falling away, then the man of sin will be revealed, and he's saying this is all pre-tribulational things. And then he talks about the next thing, he talks about his aspects of what he'll do, but then the next thing he talks about is this last phrase. So that he sits in the temple of God, setting himself forth as God. That's the next event he talks about in chronological order. The falling away of the church, the man of sin is revealed, and that man of sin says he is God. Well, we know then where we can pinpoint this. It's at the mid-tribulation point. It's after he's resurrected that Antichrist goes into the temple, stands in there, and says, I am God. So (coughs) what you're seeing there is the first stage of what's called the abomination of desolation. Okay? So then he does something, and let's continue to read on in, in 2 Thessalonians on the bottom of your page. And then shall be revealed the lawless one, whom the Lord Jesus shall slay with the breath of his mouth. That's going to happen at the second coming. And bring not by the manifestation of his coming, or bring to nothing. But look at this. Even he whose coming is according to the working of Satan, and with all power and signs and lying wonders, and will uh, with, uh, with all deceit of unrighteousness, for them that perish. So he, the Antichrist is going to have all these, these abilities, supernatural abilities to do things, to fool the world. But notice the chronological order, and this is extremely important for you to understand because people get this messed up. Notice the next order. Because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God sends them a working of error or a powerful delusion that they should believe a lie or the lie, that they all might be judged who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So if you follow chronologically what's going on, he says, Antichrist will be revealed, he'll proclaim himself to be God, and I'm going to send a powerful delusion on anyone that believes the lie. Well, he just stated what the lie is. What's the lie? The Antichrist claims to be God. That's the lie. That's the big one. Okay? So if you, you want to know, what is the lie? It's right there in Scripture. Once he claims the lie, as you'll see, someone who takes the mark, then a powerful delusion will be given to them in judgment. And they will not have no point of no return on that one. Yeah, and, and, and this is this is the hard part of teaching this. A lot of these events we're trying to put in sequential order, but a lot of them happen simultaneously. And I think what you see is, he's instantly, we're watching this piece by piece, but he's instantly going to claim himself God and force people to take his mark at the same time. And so basically claiming to be God and saying you will take the mark is simultaneous, and if you don't, you don't believe you're going to die, but if you do believe that and take his mark, it's simultaneous, You've reached a point of no return. And God's going to seal the deal by sending a strong delusion saying, fine, you want to believe he's God? I will confirm that with you. You will never be able to repent from that. You are done. There's a point of no return. Right. Because he's already stated, here's wisdom. Let him calculate the number of the beast. For the, he's a number of man's number, 666. So he's given them all kinds of signs and all kinds of confirmations of who this guy is. So 
that's God's grace saying, I'm warning you, I'm warning you, I'm warning you. The time is going to come where there's going to be no chance. So the first three and a half years, people have a chance to identify who he is, identify what's going on, make their decision for Christ. They're listening to the two prophets. They're listening to the 144,000. I mean, you have a chance. You hear angels flying all over the place uh, spreading the gospel. Okay, what else does God have to do? Saying, he's coming. I'm warning you. And then, and then he comes. So basically what this is, people will say wrongly. Well, see, it says right there that, you know, after the, after the rapture, you won't have a chance to, to get saved if you heard the gospel right now. No, no, that's incorrect. You will not be able to get saved after the midpoint of the tribulation if you refuse the truth the first three and a half years. So if someone misses the rapture, they still will get a second chance during the tribulation, a third and a fourth and fifth and whatever. But I'm telling you, it's once he resurrects and he puts his mark out there, that's the decision. That's where the line in the sand is drawn on earth. You don't, come, yeah, you don't come back from that decision if you choose him. Um, and he will even have, send an angel to warn people. Anyone who takes the mark of the beast, he will be tormented by fire and brimstone. So God even sends angels to warn people before the event happens. How much more does he have to do? You see a supernatural angel flying and people will still take the mark. It's crazy. But anyway, there's the, the first piece of the abomination of desolation. Let's continue on because that's the first phase of it. And let's turn to page, no, it, well, it's on the really bottom of your page. The second aspect of the abomination is Revelation 13. So then we jump to page 256 and let's read that and then you'll see the, the second phase of the abomination of desolation. We studied this a little bit. And I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spake like a dragon. And he exercised all authority of the first beast in the sight. And he makes the earth and them that dwell therein worship the first beast whose death stroke was healed. Now, we studied that already, so I'm not going to take a lot of time to deal with that. That's the false prophet, right? And he does great signs that he should even make fire come down out of heaven upon the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives them that dwell on the earth by reason of the signs which was given to him to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image, there's a second phase of the abomination of desolation, an image to the beast who had the stroke of the sword and lived. And it was given unto him to, to give breath to it, even to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as should not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And we talked about that. That it, maybe it's some artificial intelligence or something, but the point that John is making is, and the rest of the Bible, the abomination of desolation is in two phases. The first phase is the Antichrist going into the temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Well, guess what? Because Antichrist is not God, he's not omnipresent. So guess what he has to do to leave behind? He has to put an idol of himself in there. Because he's not omnipresent. He's not spirit. And so his... His, his religious headquarters will be in Jerusalem, but his throne, his political throne, will be in Babylon. So he goes back to his political throne in Babylon, and in his religious center now, he leaves an image of himself to be worshipped. That is what's called the second phase of the abomination of desolation. Okay, here's the question, and this is the kicker before we, we take a break. Why does Jesus allow that idol 
to remain in the temple 30 days past the second coming. Why didn't he just destroy it when he got there? Why, after 30 days, is it only destroyed? We call it the 75-day interval. Actually, Daniel will attack on another 45 days to the 30. And you have an interval, what's called the 75-day interval, between the second coming and the start of the millennium. There are an extra 75 days in there. So the 30 days into the 75 days, the abomination of desolation remains in the temple. The temple's not taken down. Now we do know that Christ creates a new temple, the millennial temple, but for 30 days he doesn't touch it. He leaves it there. Please tell me your best guess why he would leave it up. To prove? No, it was not sanctioned by God. In a lot of ways it is. Yeah. So think, so think about this and, and maybe I will refresh your mind. I did it a couple years ago to explain this. Okay. Let's pretend this is the east gate. Okay. And, and, and I know we're facing south, but let's pretend this face is east. Okay. And that this part right here is the east gate. Down here is what's called the Kidron Valley. And then where you're sitting at is the Mount of Olives. Okay, if you can picture in your mind, this is a valley, Kidron Valley, and then you have the East Gate, and then right back here would be the unholy temple that he caught, created the abomination of desolation. So that's looking into the temple, and there is the statue of the Antichrist right there. Okay, so you got the visual? The first 30 days is what's called the sheep and goat judgment of who gets into the kingdom, of who's alive after the tribulation. Yeah? Okay? Matthew 25. Okay? I know the liberals take that passage. When I was in prison, you came and visited me. I was sick, and you came and uh, all that fed me and whatnot. That passage is about how saved and unsaved Gentiles, sheep and goats, treated my brethren. When you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. The brethren is Jesus' biological brethren, the remnant of Israel. And this is from, I think, Micah chapter 4. If you want to know who the brethren are, Micah chapter 4 identifies the my brethren as the Jewish remnant. Do not let pastors take that passage and say, brethren for the church. That's out of context. My brethren means biological brethren. So when he's judging the sheep and goat judgment, to the ones on the right, those are the sheep, they did, when you did it unto me, or did it unto the least of these my brethren, you did it unto me, when you treated the Jews good, it evidenced your salvation. You will enter into the kingdom, along with the remnant. The remnant's already judged, because the only ones that are left are Jews, are believing Jews. To the goats... When you didn't do this to my brethren, it evidenced basically you're not saved. The hallmark of salvation, the evidence of salvation in tribulation is how you treat the Jews. So the sheep and goat judgment, according to what Fu's saying, is this. I'm judging you, you're going to go into hell for what you did. You're going to go into the kingdom. So imagine Christ judging from the eastern gate where he will be. 
And in the Kidron Valley, there will be a, a, a large valley that's created going against the, the fissure of the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives runs like this, but Christ splits it with his foot and divides and makes a long valley that goes miles and miles out and creates this big rift. So in front of me is this big valley. On the left are the, the goats, and on my right are the sheep. In this giant valley, who's going into tribulation? So as he is judging them, and as he is uh, consoling them, what is behind Christ? Do you see what he's doing? What is he doing? I'm the real God. You goats worship that? You will be judged by that. You refused to take the mark, right? You suffered. Some of you were died. I resurrected you right now. But you didn't take the mark, right? Because you knew he wasn't God. And you treated my brethren right. So what is behind him is what the goats believed in. And he is showing them, you fools. You believed in the wrong guy and you're going to hell now. So, in almost, you have to see spiritually what the scene would be like to understand why did Daniel say he leads the abomination up for 30 days? He does it when he's judging. I think that's amazing. You would only know that if you know the topography of Israel and how it, how it flushes out with the second coming and how he creates another valley in order to see he has the idol standing right behind him. The very thing that world, the world worshipped. Isn't that amazing? I, I just, I think that's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. A, a couple graves and not gonna stop him. Uh, when, when, if he can split the Red Sea, on this one he splits a mountain. And he, he splits the, and, and, and the funny thing is that in the, uh, I don't know, the fault, oh that's what it is, the fault line on the Mount of Olives goes this way. He splits it against the fault line when he touches down. And so those of you guys have been to Israel, you know the topography what I'm talking about. So you can picture that in your mind, and it's like, that is absolutely perfect, ironic judgment. The very thing they worship is now he's showing them is going to send you to hell. Right. It ain't gonna, where is your idol to save you? I'm here. I killed him. He's in Hades. I killed all of his army. That's why there's there's a, a behind... Okay, imagine this. Imagine this. Those of you guys who have been in Israel, you know where the Mount of Olives is. That's split up, and behind them is a lake of ocean, 200 miles square, as high as the horse's bridle, behind them. Just a lake of blood. A lake of blood that high, 200 miles square. The evidence of his slaughter is all behind it. And by the way, according to Isaiah 63, Jesus is not, his clothing, if you could imagine this, is drenched in blood. Absolutely drenched in blood. You don't believe me? Read Isaiah 63. Isaiah 63 says, Who is this one who comes out of Basra with his garments stained with the blood of his enemies? 
The blood of his enemies splashes all on him as he slays them. Now that's an image that most churches don't teach. They won't talk about that. But do you know how Jesus kills them? Now he slays them with the breath of his mouth. He slays the Antichrist with the breath of his mouth. But then in the other passage, I think in Amos, he talks about out of his fingertips comes power. And he destroys them. And literally melts them. Congeals them. Back to their original elements. And all that's left of their bodies is blood. Liquid. He liquefies them. And and if you read... Yeah, and, and, and Isaiah... It does. And Isaiah, Isaiah 63 talks about that. He said... It, the Messiah says, Who has tread the winepress with me? No one. I tread the winepress alone. Messiah does it himself. He is the, 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 the living God who does. He doesn't need us. We accompany him, but we watch him do it. And he, he simply just takes care of business. And it's really anticlimactic in a lot of ways. Because it's like, huh, Antichrist? Dead. It's just like not even an issue. Antichrist army? Dead. It's, it's very anticlimactic. So anyway, we want to take a break there. And we'll pick up next week on the persecution of the Jews. Let's take a 10-minute break and we'll come back and do... Life of the Messiah. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Anchor Discipleship. We hope that this message is a blessing to you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. Rock Harbor Church has two other podcasts. The first is called The Anchor Sunday Sermons and is filled with pastors' Sunday messages. And the second is The Anchor Bible Study. It's filled with past and continuing Bible studies preached during our Wednesday evening services. If you enjoyed this message and would like to hear them, please check the description of this episode or search your favorite podcast streaming services. Rock Harbor Church also has a print-to-order merchandise store. You can shop for Rock Harbor merch at rockharborchurch.store. Support for all three of our podcasts comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Keep looking up for our redemption draws near. God bless.